Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Living Open Podcast. I'm super excited to share this episode with you with Gina Cadlick on leaving Christianity and navigating religious families as queer people. I read Gina's book, Heretic, um, a couple of months ago and it's part memoir, it's part... um, teasing apart some of these threads in culture um, around evangelicalism, around Christianity, and its impact on us and on culture. It's a really beautiful book. Gina's story is really powerful, and I would highly recommend it for anyone who has left religion or deconstructed in some way, and especially if you're queer, because that's a big part of her story and obviously my story as well, as you know, if you listen to this podcast. Um, So a little bit about her. She uses she, her pronouns. She's a writer, astrologer, former lingerie boutique owner, and recovering academic. Her writing has occurred in a lot of different places, um, not occurred, appeared, sorry, <laughs> in Elle, Nylon, Oprah Magazine, Allure, Catapult, Literary Hub, Autostraddle, and she's the creator of the New York Times featured newsletter, Astrology for Writers, which is how I found her, um, and how I discovered her book, which is her first book out now, and, um, yeah, Astrology for Writers is a really cool newsletter that is really, not prescriptive around astrology and really oriented to the way that I relate to astrology. So I really appreciate it. It's beautifully written. Um, if you're into astrology, if you're a writer, would also recommend that. And I meant to talk to her a lot about that (laughs) in this conversation, but we really just started having a really powerful and meaningful conversation about parents and family. So we actually did not get into astrology or astrology for writers and for creativity at all, but I'm hoping to have her back on at some point to dig more into that part of her work. But we really talk about her journey with Christianity and deconstruction, about grieving the loss of religion, um, not just replacing Christianity with sort of cut, copy-paste spirituality, but actually figuring out what we really believe, navigating having conservative evangelical families, believing in people's capacity to change, having hard conversations with family, the particular loneliness of strained and estranged relationships with parents, and reparenting ourselves. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you do as well, that it feels supportive. If you are someone who relates at all to to any of these topics and these things we're talking about, um, I did want to share a couple of things before we get into the conversation, which is I have been working behind the scenes (laughs) on a lot of different essays I've been writing. I've been procrastinating my novel, as I like to say, (laughs) um, by writing a lot of personal essay. And that's been feeling really good. And my first essay is out. 
in Insider. It was just published um, a couple days ago, if you're listening to this when this comes out. It's called, I wore a tuxedo to a family wedding instead of a dress, and it was liberating. The most memorable part was how my family responded. And yeah, it's about my partner and I wearing matching tuxedos to their cousin's wedding and getting ready for that wedding at my partner's grandmother's house and how, um, how much her celebration of us, our love and our queerness and our outfits meant, um, especially as, you know, this part didn't make it into the essay, but as she has passed now, and this was in the midst of her dementia, and it was just a really special and loving moment for for both of us, for all of us. So yeah, I'll link to it in the description if you want to check it out. And you can also check out my religious trauma workbook, which has a lot of different journaling prompts and meditations and somatic exercises that are around supporting folks in healing from religious trauma and i'll link to substack as well joy notes where there's a lot more writings so lots of things linked in the description check out gina's links check out the other ones and yeah i um i would also love to to hear from y'all who are listening if you feel like connecting and sharing i feel a little bit disconnected from y'all after being off or mainly off of social media and I'm curious to know if there's anything that is particularly resonating with you from the show, if there are questions you're wanting to see explored more, topics, guests, those kinds of things, um, feel free to send me an email, erin at living-open.com, or to reach out on Substack. Okay, I think that's all. Here's my conversation with Gina. I know you wrote a whole book about the journey, <laughs> um, but I'd love to hear anything you feel like sharing um, right now about your journey with spirituality and creativity and um, how it's brought you to the work you do now and the place you are now. Absolutely. And I love that question. Um, my journey has so been one of <laughs> moving from a space from rigidity to openness and in a very stark way and in a very interesting way because as a person I'm a an oldest child very type a Capricorn sun moon Aquarius rising very Saturn ruled I like I I like rules I like which I don't think is a very popular thing to say I like <laughs> knowing I, I like a boundary I like knowing what I am and I'm not not supposed to do but I like I like having a framework for things which made growing up in uh the evangelical church that I was brought up in from infancy, very, uh, a very easy thing for me to quote unquote succeed at rather like school. Uh, it made church, church was just another thing to get an A in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, but also simultaneously, I was a very, I was raised, uh, in, you know, in rural Iowa, in nature with a very, with a very spiritual, very psychic mother, honestly, who also really encouraged this idea that God was in everything and that God was in the trees and God was in the animals. Um, not quite an animist perspective, but also not, not an animist perspective. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and so 
on the one hand, I, I grew up with this incredibly rigid, uh, you know, evangelical framework and my spiritual journey in adulthood has been so much about dismantling that, which I really get into in my memoir, Heretic, which is about my leaving the church in my early 20s. Um, you know, I was a women's studies major in college. I also led the women's Bible study uh, on camp my campus at a liberal arts school. I... Uh, was really trying to find a way to make uh, these ideals that I increasingly had about how I thought the world should work in a more inclusive way, work within this faith I had where I, you know, I had a very personal relationship with Jesus. Um, I thought I, you know, I talked to him and he talked back and kind of to that idea of like, God is in everything. Like I, I was very good at following the rules, but I also had this very personal relationship and you know, I, when I talked to the world, the world heard me is how it is how oh it felt. And, and so when I eventually in graduate school, by which point I was married to a man who was also evangelical, um, you know, I started coming out, I realized I was gay, I, you know, that whole worldview started to break apart. Which, and as anyone as, you know, yourself, as, as anyone who has left a really strict form of organized religion knows, like, that breaking a part of worldview breaks you apart as a person. It is the catastrophe of the cocoon, right? Like, it really just will push you um, to every for like into everything uh to question everything about yourself and everything you thought you thought you knew also I'm sorry this is such a long answer to this question but I am no, I like, love hearing it <laughs> but but I'm like I don't know I'm midwestern I don't know how to tell like a short story <laughs> <laughs> like my people are storytellers um but but this is all yeah just to say that like that process of you know, that shattering of that those really like rigid rules and framework um mm-hmm really left behind this scorched earth, if you will, from which I have been slowly moving into a space of more openness and discovery, which is both really vital for healing, but has also been, but which has also been really challenging for myself as someone who, as I said at the top, like temperamentally, I am someone who really loves to know, like, I love a roadmap. Mm-hmm. I love to be in charge of the group project. Like I love to have a plan. And uh-huh. when you're, when your life gets really ripped to the very core of it in that kind of instance, or really when you have any kind of ex- life experience, like a divorce or moving across the country or a death in the family, like you are going to go through a really long period, probably of like, I don't have a plan and what the fuck do I do? Um, Mm -hmm. And so spirituality really has been like this last 10 plus years since that happened of like leaning into the, once again, talking to the world around me and seeing what speaks back. And that is not always comfortable. No, it's definitely not. (laughs) It's my very long answer to your question. (laughs) I should have said this at the very beginning, but like, we love a tangent on the show. We love a long answer. We love a, we meander through the conversation. So <laughs> you do not have to apologize for, for going on. I, I like it a lot. Um, and yeah, I think what you said is so beautiful about this journey of moving from rigidity to openness. And as you're talking about this, like shattering, I'm also thinking about how 
even now, like there are parts of me that grieve the like safety that I feel like I lost. Like it was mm -hmm. miserable for me, but also like it was all of those things. It's like the rules, the norms, there's the set way, there's the certainty, there's all of these like things to rely on, the structure, the community, the beliefs, like you don't have to mm -hmm. do any of that yourself. And yeah, yeah, it's been a really long time since I believed in Jesus or had that um, relationship to Christianity. And still sometimes I'm like, I miss it. Yeah, it's it's really, I think, staggering how much I do miss aspects of of the faith at times. And it's because I have to really push on it when that's happening. I'm, I'm like, what do I miss? And it's yeah. often that I miss things that or have, and, and not even that it's an active longing, but it's grief. It's that really weird process of how like grief, at least for me, I don't know, this grief of this enormous thing that was like once all of me and once informed literally every part of my life. Um, just, I think I've slowly reconciled myself to the fact, having been out of it for this long at this point, that it's never going to fully go away. Um, but it's usually grief for things that kind of, as you were, you were saying, like, I can't recreate myself, mm -hmm. um, or, or restructure. Like it often comes up when I think about like worship or mm -hmm. which can to an extent be re I mean, that feeling does definitely like, like I remember even when I was still in the church, and was still a believer, I would go to secular concerts and it was like the same feeling because mm. it's that like, it's that collective effervescence of like everyone mm -hmm. of, you know, oneness that the self just kind of disappears with thousands of other people singing. And it's just so beautiful. But like with the pandemic happening and like my partner is immunocompromised, like we haven't, we went to one concert that was outdoors in Central Park and within the last three years, like mm. otherwise we haven't been to live music. And so I've really like acutely felt that longing for what that feeling is that just swells up with other people, which in my life has most often every Sunday been experienced mm -hmm. for 25 years, like was experienced on a weekly basis, like in church. Um, yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I actually, when I was starting to question Christianity, I was like young. I, I was like maybe 16 mm -hmm. or something. I don't know, but I would continually call up this experience of being at youth group camp in eighth grade <laughs> and having that experience of such like on connection. And like, I really felt like I experienced God in that specific night when I was there. Mm -hmm. And so I would like continually remind myself of that to try and convince myself that mm. I was okay. Everything is okay. like, it is true. It is real. Even though I had all these questions and was like, I don't feel anything when I pray and all those kinds of things. But I was like, but that experience, that means um, that this is all true and there's nothing for me to well, doubt. <laughs> it's so interesting too, how like, so few organized spaces within Christianity hold space for both of those things to be true. Like mm. that you can't like that the, the high moments of which there are often few and far between can exist and can, and to my, to my mind can absolutely be real or some form of real. And also that the doubt 
and the questions all still get to be there and they don't like cancel out the other. Whereas I feel like it's so many forms of organized, of really conservative organized religions, like you just doubt is not acceptable and questions are not acceptable. And Judaism being the obvious outlier here in like their, you know, millennia of tradition, of written tradition being just questioning and questioning it. And it's so beautiful. Um, and Christianity just being the absolute antithesis of that um, in every uh-huh. way. <laughs> like, Literally, I, um, my partner's grandmother passed a couple of months ago and she was in hospice, um, for a bit first and we were able to be with her and it was really sad and really special. And that side of my partner's family is Jewish and, um, they had a rabbi come and they're not very religious at all, but they are Jewish. And so a rabbi came, um, and my partner's mom asked the rabbi, like, do you think she's going to be reunited with her parents? She's been saying she wants to see her dad or she sees her dad. Like, do you think and do you think that she's going to be able to come back and visit us? Like, is that something that happens? And I was so <laughs> shook to my core <laughs> when the rabbi was like, you know, based on what I've read and felt and experienced, this is what I think, but we can't really be sure. Like, what do you think? I was like, (laughs) my mind was so blown with that response from like a religious leader. I was like, that can't, that you would never catch a pastor. Oh, never. (laughs) Like the, the, also the humility in like, you know what this, this is what I think, but what do you, but genuinely asking, what do you, what do you think? Like based on what you yeah. know and you've experienced, that's incredible. Like, yeah, it wasn't. And I, I don't think until that moment that I realized that was something that could happen mm. from within religion. I think I thought that kind of openness could only happen in just like spirituality without organized religion. So it was, mm-hmm. it was very shocking. <laughs> yeah, and like notably Judaism, like a famously closed tradition, not out here trying <laughs> yeah. to convert people. Like. <laughs> Not out here trying to like mainstream and like take over governments. Like. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very yeah, they're like they're like keeping that on lock internally. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're actually all set. We don't we don't need you guys to no. <laughs> no, genuinely, but but yeah, it's it's so interesting. Yeah, the move to more that open that open space outside of mm-hmm. like strict, you know, Christian spaces is mm-hmm. is really challenging. I don't know how have, how have you found it on your on your journey? I think that I I really resonated with a lot of what you shared in your book about like your spiritual practice not being just a cut and paste replacement for Christianity, but something, mm-hmm. um, I think you said a redirection. I really loved that. I think that I sort of left Christianity, thought I am unaffected by this and I am fine. And then just like went through a phase of not thinking about, I was just so glad to be 
rid of it, to be out of my parents' house, to not have to go to church, to just be done Mm -hmm. with it, then I just like wasn't really religiously or spiritually curious for a few years and then started to tell my way into spirituality through yoga. That was my first Uh space, which I think is is a pretty common thing. Um, And then now looking back, I think I was going from like if Christianity's over here I was just sort of doing that copy and paste situation and um replacing yeah those deities with spiritual teachers and stuff and Mm -hmm. I think now I've just landed in a place that's a lot more somewhere in the middle and more fluid and more I think just grounded like I think of the hierophant part like I think it's just Mm -hmm. more grounded in myself and actually being able to be like what do I think like this Mm -hmm. is what I'm reading this is maybe what like I'm learning through this tradition or this is whatever but like what actually feels right and I think I thought I was doing that but now I can see that I wasn't really doing that um Mm -hmm. and so it feels it feels like a much it feels more integrated and sort of right-sized my relationship mm. with spirituality, but also really important to me and like woven into the way that I see the world and experience life. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> That's kind no, of that makes that. that makes total sense. And I and I feel like it's so um and I, I hear you on like how I talked at the very end of the book, how one of my one of my biggest pet peeves is when I talk to folks and like they're in there and I live in, you know, I we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but like I live in New York now and I mm-hmm. like I grew up in the rural Midwest. I was I came out here ages ago for grad school in Boston and I've lived in New York now for like seven plus years. Um, and I just, I run into, because I write here and I've worked in startup land and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I just, I meet a lot of people who have no experience of the rest of the country. That's not New York or LA. Mm-hmm. And like, haven't even been to Philly, you know, like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, like we are yeah, talking yeah. like, like just like their coastal U.S. experience is New York and California, and that is it. And maybe Florida, like for vacations, you oh, know. Yeah. It's, it's like I, I also had no idea how many people in New York like just do Florida for like their vacation. It's wild to me. Anyway, ta- ta- uh, ta- that's a tangent, but um, <laughs> but. I because I meet so many people whose experience of and New York is wonderful. I love it. Obviously, I've lived here for ages, but like whose experience of the United States, which is so multicultural and so wildly diverse and so like going to different states is like going to different countries here. Mm-hmm. And but their experience is so in as much as a New York City experience can be monolithic, it is monolithic for them. Like when they find out where I'm from or they find or I'm in a group of people and like they found find out that some of us are like from the midwest or from the south or are from farm country or like grew up in a particular kind of way you know like evangelical from like non-denominational evangelical for me with like an inflection of baptist or like someone else is like pentecostal like the reactions are bananas and they just really have this response of like well how did you end up here you went to college you have a like they're they they just don't understand like how on earth because the media representation of people who are religious, people who are evangelical, like how on earth could we be out here and be quote unquote like them? 
But then, you know, we keep talking and I might drop into conversation that I also, in addition to all these other things I do, I'm an astrologer or I have this newsletter called Astrology for Writers Mm -hmm. or I wrote this book and it also talks about spirituality a lot. And then it's just a very one-to-one in these people's brains. And it's very like, oh, well, you're just that kind of person who needs belief to function. Mm -hmm. And with that replacement thought. And it's just such, those were a lot of pet peeves in one. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's, it's very, and I don't know, because to my mind, like, and folks who have experience or exposure to some kind of organized religion typically don't have that reaction, but folks Mm -hmm. who don't really have that kind of exposure do have that reaction a lot. And it's incredibly condescending. Like you said, it's very dismissive. It's very like, and it, it really does buy into this ne- like really neoliberal idea. I think that I do talk about in the book about like that religious people or that folks who are invested in spirituality. I would extend it to folks who are invested in spirituality. You know, um, like aren't as intelligent. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this very like left brain, right brain, really like post enlightenment divide that really mm-hmm. ascribes rationality and intellect to the masculine, and that ascribes you know, belief or, or what we would call spirituality or the divine or uh, what cannot be explained to the feminine and to the less than. Um, And it's a really fascinating, I don't know if you have experience with this also, but it's just been such a consistent uh, thing I've experienced, particularly when I was in academia still, but also to mm. an extent that especially when I was in academia in Boston, but um, to an extent still here in New York, like in startup circles and media circles, like you still run into it a lot. And it's just a really interesting assumption, um, like interesting yeah. with a few asterisks on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh that is that is made um just about enormous swaths of people like mm-hmm. lumping so many di- different and disparate populations the world over um yeah. into into this group it's it's a very i don't know i also find it to be a very like white man white supremacist like uh idea uh that they're dismissing yeah that like that they're dismissing you know religion belief the validity of the unknown uh just mm-hmm. wholesale um I don't know but that's yeah, a very, yeah which is which is partly why I went off so much in the book toward the end there about like the idea that spirituality is not a replacement for religion but also that both are still I think incredibly like valid sources of connection like with each other with the other than Mm -hmm. human like just to have in our lives because I think we're also very inherently like connection oriented creatures like yeah whether with each other or with nature so yeah with all of it and yeah I really appreciated that part of the book because it made me think about something I feel like I really saw during COVID on like social media and it I feel like I'm like, how to articulate this? It was something like the polarity of like some people are anti-vaxxers from like a religious and spiritual space means mm-hmm. like religion and spirituality, stupid, bad. We can only care about science like through a COVID mm-hmm. lens. Mm-hmm. And that felt so interesting and like so unnuanced to me because I'm like, those things don't have like we're setting up a false thing where those things can't coexist we can't care about science 
and help in COVID specifically, and also have a spiritual practice and a relationship with spirit, like those things absolutely can coexist. That's how I feel. But there's something mm-hmm. specifically, I feel like around COVID that really happened on social media that was like, yeah, it is science above all else and anything else that's not like evidence-based research, etc., is like stupid. We definitely saw, I I totally agree. We definitely saw a resurgence of quote unquote, the important, the intact, the, mm, I don't even know what to call it, but the, (laughs) the lifting up of scientific thinking or scientific evidence, whatever scientific is, as if science exists without human bias, as if like, as if science is object, quote unquote, objective and other things are not like, like science has, science has plenty of bias. (laughs) <laughs> Algorithms have plenty of bias. We know this. Yeah. Like any any woman who has ever been to a doctor or like, you know, is aware of this. Like the fact that every study done about heart attacks, like all of the symptoms of heart attacks favor men because or like, you know, or I should say AMAB people, because like that, those are the people who heart attack studies are done on. Like any woman who has ever, or a person with a uterus who has ever been to an ER for pelvic pain is well aware that there is a paucity of medical research done on us. Like, because science is biased and like the mortality rate of black women in labor, like we all know this, but I completely like agree like that it was somehow deified and lifted up as like science overall also as if like those of us who have investment in spirituality and our spiritual communities are also not motivated to get vaccines because of spiritual like reasons and community care like as if community care is not a motivating factor for millions of people who did get vaccinated so which we're in agreement on but like I don't I don't know I, I I I very much agree that it was I don't know, like, also, as someone who, I don't know, I grew up in a very, like, very religious family, but a very far-right family also, and this idea, I think, that the far-right is going to be reached with, like, quote-unquote, objective data uh, is amusing to me <laughs> at best. Um I don't know. Like that's, it's, it's just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So, and we, and we've seen that it doesn't work. Like we saw the statistics tilt as like evidenced by the COVID um, death rates, like have switched that it's no longer like people of color who are again, like fucking science bias, like who are predominantly dying from COVID. It's now like older white people who Mm -hmm. are the conservative anti-vaxxers, like, because that messaging didn't work. So which is sad, like, no one should be dying from this. But yeah. Yeah, but we can really see that. I think, yeah, my family, um, when you said far right, I'm like, I feel tight in my chest. I'm like, oh, I don't call my parents that, but they probably are. But I'm just like, they are conservative. Mm. (laughs) Very red Christians. And that descriptor probably fits. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I think part of actually the um my quest starting to question religion was how interwoven those things were in my family mm. of religion and 
patriarchy and all of these things that like they were also wanting to uplift and instill in me. And I think that's one of the things that made it so that I could be like, wait, this isn't, this feels really wrong and bad. And I don't think that's true. So yeah. 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 It was, I, I'm curious how, how you grew up with that. Um, my case was interesting and, and kind of like, like I talk about in Heretic, like my growing up, my mom was super religious and like is the one who took us to church and was really, really evangelical and, but also wasn't super involved in politics. And when I was really little, my dad was like an apathetic Catholic. He didn't convert to evangelicalism until I was in high school, but he was the one who was like Fox News, really far right. Like whenever I was in his truck, like driving around, like he was listening to Rush Limbaugh or whatever conservative local morning show was on the radio, like big radio guy. So it was just, um, it felt like I was still getting all of that mixed together because I had the religion with my mom and the politics with my dad. And it was just, it was constant. Um, I, I, I'm always amused when I see clips from the Fox news morning show. I forget what those guys' names are, but they have <laughs> their plastic surgery is amazing because they like, they look the same as they did when I was like 11 years old and I'm 35 now. Okay. Oh so God. like, so they like those two guys, like, Oh, Steve Ducey is one of them. I can't believe I remember that asshole's name. But like, well done. <laughs> like that's like your brain just pulling out your childhood trauma. But uh, like, yep. <laughs> what the fuck is name? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's very funny. Um, when you say that, I don't remember Fox News Morning Show, but I do remember watching Bill O'Reilly with my parents. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it is. It is. But that's also like a testament to how indoctrinated we were as kids. Like it was just always on. And yeah. like we're both grown now. Like it's been on for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's also a reason why I think there's something else that can happen for like leftist in particular where we're like oh my I, I don't know like um like not thinking that anyone who isn't already a leftist can start to align with those politics or can move mm -hmm. further along the spectrum and then mm -hmm. I think about like what it takes for some of us to shift those kinds of beliefs too and go from this like really intense indoctrination like in a religious way and also like in a political way where like in my family being a democrat is like the most radical thing they could imagine like just voting yes. like joe biden is so unfathomable i'm like people are coming from all these different experiences to like and i totally believe in people's capacity to to go through a slow process of like change and um orienting to the world and capitalism and all of it in different ways and I I think it feels really sad when um that belief isn't reflected and it's like well I don't know everyone else is just a lost cause or something like I don't I don't think that we used to joke 
in high, this makes me remember a joke uh, that I would do with my dad in high school where I would tell him that I, because it was, we were also like, and I promise this will, I will land this at, I, I will bring this back around. But like, <laughs> we used to joke that being a vegetarian was worse than being a Democrat because we were one of those like red meat, five, you know, five nights a week, whatever families. Uh-huh. But that was a lie <laughs> because being a Democrat was the worst thing you could be. Yeah. And when I came out, I, joked that I was like oh well like you know because I was an into I, I my my journey politically was just like so slow and I was like well I'm an independent you know I'm like I'm not which is like being a democrat without being a democrat <laughs> but I, I was an independent like, for a time as well <laughs> it's like I was I was just like slowly moving along the spectrum and and I was like okay well I'm a lesbian but like that's better than being a democrat right dad and he was like yes <laughs> but but for real for my evangelical fox news watching wow. like you yeah. know all of that father like he was Def, I mean, and to be fair, my dad does actually have major issues with my sexuality, but like it was yes. still better. It was absolutely easier than yeah. being a Democrat. Yeah. Which is about on par with my having been with my having left the church. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like the Democrat and witch stuff are definitely the worst, are definitely much, much, much worse yeah. than the fact that I was bringing girls home. Like that piece of cake if I had just been bringing girls home but was still a Christian and like was still voting Republic if I was a fucking log cabin Republican my parents <laughs> would be so thrilled like beyond um which I think is also something that like people in my community have a really hard time wrapping their heads around mm-hmm. is the extent to which my like evangelical you know my dad's really conservative my mom is not actually but she's you know so fucking evangelical like that it it's hard to differentiate that, um, that like my sexuality is the thing that they have the least trouble with. That's very mm. difficult for that has been very difficult for like my girlfriends and my friends to reconcile because as you're saying, it's like the moral mistrust and the absolute hatred, um, that has been baked, uh, between, Democrats and Republicans this country for so long at this point is like so so deep that the political shift that I've had and that also my sister has had at this point and also my leaving the church are far 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 more difficult for them so yeah yeah. that's really interesting you say that because I feel like one of the biggest reasons that my parents had such a problem with my have such a problem with my queerness is that they, I think they saw it as me like committing to this lifestyle they already knew about, which was like uh, being a socialist witch. Got it. And which I one came this, first? Yes, That's those the, came first. Yeah. Just came last. And I think, got like, it. Oh shit, you're really like, you're not turning back from this. This is like, you're committed to this. Got um, it. See, mine came first. Part of it. <laughs> so that might that might be it. Like my divorce and yeah. the coming out came first, and then all the other stuff came. And so maybe maybe it's the order it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but it is so, all wrapped up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but so you are also your parents know everything also. They know everything now. They hate it all, but they know it all. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. That's been how I'm curious how that's been for you. Cause it's been, I, when I meet, I meet a lot of other folks who are in similar boats, but, and who may be out to their parents, you know, like as, as queer and all of that, but are not necessarily out to their parents as witches or as having left the church, which I don't think there's any need to be like in the case, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, but I always find it really interesting that that's usually what folks end up being like, Oh my God, you told your parents. And obviously like I have a book out now, like if if they didn't know before, they definitely (laughs) would know, but, (laughs) but, but they, but also like they, they knew before and like, it's been a source of contention for many years. So like, yeah, you know, um, but I'm, I'm very interested to like, to when I talk with people who are very keen to like not tell their parents that for a variety of reasons, um, all like which yeah. are valid and such. Yeah. I totally get why people don't want to tell their parents that I like, I only told my parents because I was forced to, which was my mom saw this podcast. I've been podcasting for like seven years. Oh um, my God. And I hadn't kept it a secret from her. I just thought she, we sort of operated on like a, they won't ask me questions that they mm. think they need to answer. So they don't want to know. So I didn't expect her to, but she sort of checked it out like a year or two in and was like, sat me down for like a whole conversation. And I was like, no, like, it's true. Like I'm, I'm not Christian anymore. Like I don't believe in Jesus yes, I'm doing witchcraft. Like it all just like, we really had a super honesty time. Oh um, my God. That was, I don't know. I was probably like, I had just graduated from college a year or two before maybe. Um, wow. And she was really upset and it was, yeah, it was really difficult. And we just sort of agreed to keep talking about things. But I think that's sort of a pattern for me and my mom is where like, there are these like huge fundamental differences we have that are like really heartbreaking for her. And we're like, okay, we're going to really like keep talking and rebuild our relationship. And then Mm -hmm. we just sort of don't, um, mood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, from there, like my, I, my parents had been figuring out that I was becoming a democrat through college and then uh, even further and further than that like throughout the years and Mm -hmm. I used to we used to have really like rousing political debates (laughs) but um (laughs) now just like yeah yeah, after coming out I just avoid talking about anything real with my dad especially but both my parents because it's just so much like I don't want to don't say gay bill with my dad you know I'm like and he tried but I don't want to do it you know no (laughs) there's it's it's a no win yeah it's it's a no win like yeah yeah. no this is so interesting that this is coming up I guess unsurprisingly like it it all really does boil (laughs) down to parents at the end of it um because I I am uh I've been like no contact on and off with my dad since the election. Um, Like my sister and I would fight with him and just debate. And because that's the like, 
my sister and I each like picked something to have in common with our dad and my sister picked sports and I picked politics, which it oh. turned out was a gross, was a gross mistake, <laughs> grotesque mistake. Like, and which used to be fun. <laughs> which it used in high school. It was a lot of fun through college. Like when I had my little libertarian phase that turned into being an independent and that eventually grew into a Democrat socialist, you know, now I'm here. Um, like I, I made it work for a while. Um, but leading up to the election it just got so brutal and so awful mm-hmm. and then come the election you know everyone was saying like well you have to have the hard conversations with people in your family and i was like i've been here like mm-hmm. i've been here for a, like at that point like a de- like a decade mm-hmm. um you know not always on the issue of like sexuality with my dad cuz i hadn't come out until like a few years prior to that but on other things like I've been talking to him and it has not made one lick of difference. So I want no contact with him. Like, and then due to various health things over the years have occasionally like come back in and out. Um, And then in 2021, I went home purposefully to my parents to talk to them about what was going to be in the book. Cause I just wanted them. I have a big extended family and a very Mm -hmm. nosy extended family. (laughs) And I was like, I will have some like fucking nosy ass relatives, like call my parents up and be like, do you see what your daughter wrote? And I would just rather that they heard it from Mm -hmm. me face to face. Like, and so I knew the trip was going to be awful. It was, but I was like, we're going to do this. I'm going to tell you, I don't think every memoirist has to do that. I don't think that it is in everyone's best interest to do that. And I don't know that I would do it again for future books. But for this first one, I'm really glad I did go home to see my folks. Um, But like at this point, like it's 2023, like I'm no contact with my mom at this point. Like it's, you know, but at the same time, I have book events in Iowa in two weeks and my partner is coming with me and she has never met my parents. And so I'm mm. like, okay, we're, we're going to do a dinner just so that you can meet them. <laughs> like, wow. So, you know, it's like, it's no contact with the occasional blip and we're yeah. going to see how it goes. Yeah. Cause like with my dad, cause kind of like how you said, your dad tries to bring things up. My dad is very similar. He'll try to bring, even though I don't want to talk about it, he'll try to bring things up. And my mom Politically is fine, but you know, she asks really prurient questions about God and religion and faith and all the witch stuff. And, you know, it usually ends in tears. And I don't, and I don't like that. That's not, that's not pleasant. So that might be TMI, but like it's just, I think it's a reality. No, that's that how folks, things are with me and my mom. I get yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. like I, I feel like, especially for a lot of white queers, like that's where a lot of my like friends are at in that state of estrangement with with our parents in a way that is really unrecognizable too because like my parents had or my mom at least like had a really tough relationship with her mom but she wasn't no contact and so I think that this idea of like having a child who rejects the idea of obligation or familial obligation, at least within my family is very like, what are you doing? Like, even if we hate each other, we still come home for holidays. We, we still, you know, we still do the thing. We still put on a good face. We don't put our business out to the world in a book. Like we, you know, we, we still perform family, even if we aren't feeling it. And so I think that, like, especially what we're seeing with millennials and with Gen Z, like, kind of stepping back and being like, 
no, <laughs> like we aren't actually obligated. It's, it's definitely a break in tradition. Definitely. Yeah. And it's something like, for me, I was forced into no contact with my dad by his own decision. And like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. Um, he's sort of like, we occasionally share space at family events now and things have shifted a little bit over time, but it's like, um, I never thought that something, I didn't really think that something like that could happen between us. And, um, yeah, I think it's just so hard when it's like, um, these are our parents and they raised us. And I mean, I won't speak for you, but I love my Mm -hmm. parents, even though there's all of this between us, but then it is like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, what's the performance of family and how do we really feel and what do we owe to each other and not, and yeah, I think there's just like a particular loneliness that comes from not having a relationship with a parent and also sometimes it's the exact thing that's needed yeah Yeah. I that's so well put because like I love I love my parents so much too and I think it it wouldn't hurt so much if I didn't and like I grew up in a very affectionate family like my parents were like you know they said I love you they hugged Mm -hmm. us when we were kids like you know, it's not like I grew up in a cold family where distance was or emotional distance was the norm. Like it was very complicated in a lot of ways, which I get into in the book for a lot of different reasons that I I won't necessarily, you know, don't need to talk about here. But like, yeah. like they were very loving. And even with all of the really bad shit going on, like they were still very loving to me and my sister. And so, you know, growing up and getting a lot more and leaving home and getting a lot more distance on in perspective on like a lot of things. And then, you know, trying like spending years trying to repair those relationships going nowhere and, you know, ultimately having to be in this position feels really bad, but also is, but also feels really healthy (laughs) because Mm -hmm. when I am in contact, it's not good for me. And I have learned that the hard way. And and it really sucks to have like a parent who's alive who you grieve. It's a very it's a very strange experience. Mm-hmm. And one thing I do take heart in is like how many of my friends are in really similar positions who yeah. aren't even who aren't even necessarily like no contact, but who have a distance or who have an estrangement and like who just have a lot of unresolved pain um trauma call it what you will like there's just so much that they are like reconciling that that I also am reconciling myself to knowing like it will never be accounted for like you know it's just like this is what it is Mm -hmm. and it's what it will be and like it's not going to change and just like okay so how do I live here and make the best and healthiest choices for myself I don't necessarily like the word healthy in this context, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like what works for you? Mm -hmm. I think part of it also for me was, is, and it's still a process, but of like not making it about me. I Mm -hmm. think that it's been so hard to not 
turn it around and touch all of the religious trauma places in me that are like, you're bad. And you know, like you're bad. It's your fault. Um, Yeah. Like only a terrible person would not talk to their dad or have a dad who doesn't want to talk to them. Like all those Mm. things. And like, I'm Mm -hmm. still working with that all the time, but it is, like you said, so helpful to just have community with other people who are having these kind of strange varying degrees of strained relationship with parents to be able to be like you're not bad you're wonderful maybe maybe I'm not either (laughs) yeah no I mean but it also got to your point with the religious trauma that's so real because like it got drilled into us as kids the whole obey your parents like honor Mm -hmm. thy father and mother like yeah like like the whole parental I I don't know how strict it was like in your family or with your church but like the whole parental obedience like you know mm-hmm. parental will from on high like oh my god like nothing mm-hmm. I'm so in awe of my friends who are parents um I don't have kids my sister doesn't have kids so like it's I'm just watching my best friends like raise little babies and it's so cute Aww. but I'm I feel like watching them raise kids though is like breaking my brain like mm-hmm. with like with right like just and even yeah. like p- watching parenting tiktoks like just like yeah. witnessing like <laughs> oh my god these are parents who like these are and not even these are parents but like these are like two and three year olds who can identify what they're feeling in their body are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like i know <laughs> oh my god my partner and I's godson, we were watching him one day at his house and his mom had left. And when she left, he he's only three now and he was probably two then or like one and a half. He was very young. And he brought us over to his bookshelf and pulled out his baby meditation book. And he actually, it says like, breathe in. And he was like doing the breathing. Like we could hear him. And we're like, oh my God, you're like, using your coping skills and you're literally a baby you're like teaching us how to like support you in co-ex just my mind is another level another level no it was so wild amazing like it it gives me so much hope but I also that really does prompt me to look on like our own experiences and I'm like (laughs) what like like it really was oh like, yeah we, we super were told you're a bad child for crying it was uh-huh. like that that was our coping skill and we were punished for it so like also I think we're doing great yeah <laughs> like, we're certainly doing our best we're doing our best thank god for these kids with parents now who are really doing such amazing work (laughs) I mean genuinely like like we're you know start like really started from the bottom like you know like (laughs) working on it we're working on it (laughs) like yeah it really does feel both sad and also so healing to see Mm -hmm. my friend parenting our godson and just like the gentleness and care and the really secure sweet bond they have and it's just unfamiliar and it's beautiful (laughs) it's unfamiliar and it is beautiful yes that is such a beautiful way to put that like yes it is all of I I love yeah like watching my little nieces and nephews I'm like you are so confident in but secure is the word like it's like you feel free and secure to express how you're feeling Mm-hmm. Because you know that you're not going to be punished for it 
by either your parents or by God. And how amazing is that? Like It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, what is that like? (laughs) Um, I feel like you'll love this. When we were another time when we were watching him, he um, was trying to direct us to do this incense ritual that he does with his dad. And we were like, the stove no no we can't we don't and we were like not understanding at all what he was trying to do but he's like taka taka and he's trying to like get us to heat up the charcoal put his favorite scents on it and and we're just like then we saw him do it like later with his dad and we were like oh my god how? he was trying to tell us what to do so he could so that he could ritual. do his part because he knew yeah. that he couldn't heat up the charcoal i'm yes. dead yeah i'm dead that's amazing yeah. oh my god he's a spiritual baby <laughs> i was like these friends of yours sound like they're doing a plus parents like can i yeah, get back their child like <laughs> that sounds great that is also how i feel when i'm with them <laughs> um, like, you, like would you mind it if i just show up to be a baby at your house is that weird <laughs> like, can, you, can you please be my mom <laughs> just like help me with my reparenting like, <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's that's also, yeah, it's just like the the work of our lives. And that's also, I will say, like partly why this next book that I'm working on, I talk about um childlessness a fair bit. And like hmm. part of why I don't want to have kids and have finally settled on that is I'm like, yeah, I did way too much work, like be like being a little parentified child, like being hmm. like, you know also like not being able to honor my own child self when I was little, like I'm, I, I need too much focus on me right now to even think about doing the kid thing. So yeah, which which has felt very freeing and very healing in its own way. Yeah. That's so real. And also you're working on another book. Excited. I'm working on another book. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am. We'll see. It's it's slow going. I'm remembering yeah. to I need to I need to take a page out of your godson's baby meditation book and do the breathing exercises. He's so wise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just spreading his wisdom around. Yeah. Um I know we have to wrap up, but I all these other things I wanted to ask you about astrology for writers and creative process and everything but I'm just so enjoying talking to you that I knew no, this, this, been, <laughs> thank this you. has been such a joyful like it's this conversation has been just bleh, words words are hard it's just been like so good for my heart and I oh. just I, I don't know I you know we can always talk later about all the good things yeah. and this has just been like yeah I'm so glad we talked about all this I felt like we had the conversation we needed to have I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having Mm -hmm. me. Of course. Can you tell people where they can connect with you and how they can get your book? Because the book is wonderful and people won't see the video, but I do have it right here in case I wanted to reference it. But (laughs) that's so nice. Um, Yeah. You can find me at ginacadlick.com. I am at ginacadlick on 
social media for as long as it's around um, uh-huh. TBD <laughs> on, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And my book Heretic is available wherever books are sold or at your local library. Because um, libraries are wonderful. Support your librarians, um, especially in this horrible fascist age that we are in. Uh, and I also have a newsletter, which we didn't talk about, but it's called Astrology for Writers. So if you're a writer who uh, digs uh, the relationship between spirituality and creativity my newsletter might be of interest to you and that's how I found your work and the newsletter is wonderful (laughs) thank you I very much enjoy it it's a nice respite from book writing thank you so much for listening if you loved this episode please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on I appreciate it so so much and it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show with an indie podcast you can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.